Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Unquote, the least contentious peanut gallery in history. I'm Cooper Powers. Hello, everyone. We're back with another episode of Unquote. This week's quote is number 66 on AFI's top 100 movie quotes from the movie The Planet of the Apes, starring Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell, and Linda Harrison. Released on April 3, 1968, the science fiction film gave a grim and unsettling look at what life could be like on other planets. Astronaut Taylor, played by Heston, crash lands on an eerie planet with his soon-to-be thinned-out crew, as if by some cosmic joke parallel universe where apes have become the dominant species on the planet serves as Taylor's plight. He is captured by an ape society on the cusp of technological innovation, and any attempt to escape or communicate is met with punishment and disbelief. Our line comes at the end of a chase sequence. Taylor was caught in a net for what seems like the umpteenth time in the movie, and as the militant gorillas move in to bind him, he snarls, Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! There are moments of real philosophical bearing in this movie some regarding the nature of life, specifically man, and all are spoken with tones of disdain. Why then was the somewhat lackluster interjection chosen for AFI's list? I sat down with my dad this week. He saw the film originally when it came out in theaters, and we talked a little monkey business. What do you say, Dad? How you doing, Coop? Good to see you, man. Doing good, man. Glad to have you on the show. I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear right now. This I'm already having fun. The movie this week that we're going to talk about is The Planet of the Apes, the 1968 science fiction epic star- starring Charlton Heston. Well, the, the first thing I thought of was you've told me numerous times that you actually saw it in the theater. Tell me about that. Tell me about that experience. I was uh, 20 years old. 20 years old. And had been married a year. Your mother and I went to see the movie. We didn't go to the movie often because it was a lot of money, even at uh, 75 cents a pop. That's about 75 <laughs> cents or a dollar back then. I mean, that was a down payment on a house pretty much. Pretty much. Either that or, uh, you know, a new pickup truck or whatever <laughs> the case may be. But along about that time in motion pictures, they started making pictures of a lot better quality. And they made pictures that were groundbreaking. It was pictures that they made that really stopped you in your tracks and made you think about things. Mm-hmm. Up, up till then, it was uh, cowboys and Indians. and uh, <laughs> Pretty standard movie fare. Pretty standard movie fare. You know, you had your war pictures and you had your love romance. Right. But uh, along about in the 60s, a lot of uh, political-oriented movies came out. So this was, this was one of the first ones. And to say that your mother and I were in shock at the end of the movie is to say nothing because we were in shock it just it was a movie that really influenced me in the way I was thinking you were able to see it as it came out and be a part of the the kind of the cultural right you know conversation that was going on at the time um, like for instance this was 1968 this was a year before we landed a man on the moon That's and you correct. were able to see that as well you were able to see that as well I mean I'm just I'm getting Shaky, just thinking about it. just the prospect of that is just so fascinating to me. Tell right, me about and that. we, you know, we realized that we were on the verge of 
entering into space, maybe to the moon. Uh, it looked feasible. Most people thought that it was impossible, but you could start to kind of put the pieces together and see it happening. But the big thing about the movie that you have to realize is that this was filmed during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. As children, your mother and I, in school, we even practiced duck and cover. <laughs> Which, you know, for all that was worth, for right? all that that would do, for all that that was worth, you, we practiced jumping under our desk and covering our heads. And people today say, oh, you didn't really do that. Well, yes, we really did. Yeah. That was to prepare us for what we suppose was an inevitable nuclear attack. And in 57, the Russians put this object into the sky called Sputnik. Mm -hmm. And we were in terror because we thought that they were spying on us and that it was a weapon and when they finished spying they were going to drop it and it would kill thousands of people. Right. That was really the mindset, especially for young people yeah. because we had been practicing the drills, duck and cover. It was a lot to expect from something the size of a grapefruit, but right. you, you, still, right. you still had your fears, understandably so. You know? Right, and as, after a few years after that we realized you know, it was just an object that was put into space that went beep, 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 and that was all it did. But were well aware of the nuclear threat, and there was nuclear prol proliferation during this period of time. Yeah. We were building warheads, they were building warheads. And to see this movie, and to think about the impact it had on a 20-year-old who was just starting out in life, it was monumental. No pun intended, no monumental. Pun in monumental. At the end of the movie, when the last scene was shown, and the movie ended just moments after that, I couldn't get out of the seat. It was that impactful of a movie. Now, after not having watched it for many, many years, mm -hmm. movie making to date <laughs> is far superior. Yeah, yeah. But you have to realize that this was the first time something like this had been done, even down to costuming. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, yeah, the prosthetics, but, yeah. But, you know, that was, that was something that was, boy... To see the rubber mask on, and they sort of semi-work, but not real good. But to see <laughs> convincing what's, enough, right? When you see what's computer animated today, it's just phenomenal as far as filmmaking goes. And it was not only a political movie about war, about the nuclear proliferation that was going on. It was also about it was a social commentary. Mm -hmm. A lot of strife going on during that. A lot time of strife well. going on in the world. Uh, the civil rights movement had was underway. Going back and looking at it today, I can see the commentary that they were making on it. Yeah. And uh, it was a phenomenal movie. Now, we're using this movie because of the 100 greatest quotes that you pull from. Right. I read some list. Yeah. The quote is not really that good, and I don't know. And how what, is, what is the quote? Now, do the, your best, Charlton Heston, for us. Well, I don't. I can't. I'm not a, a mimic, but uh, <laughs> take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. It's pretty good. Pretty good. And that, that, was the that, first came, that came after that chase sequence where he got away the first time. But that, that was the quote that was listed as one of the greatest ones. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to the movie, there were many more quotes in the movie that yes. were much more noteworthy. A lot, a lot more philosophical A questions. lot more philosophical. And it, it really blows your mind because uh, the first time I watched the movie and Charlton Heston had a soliloquy at the first of the movie... Mm -hmm. And he expounded on different things. And then from time to time, you know, the camera would pan away and he would have a little soliloquy. I don't know why they consider that such a wonderful quote. It would be, I guess it would be, if you take it in the context that if it was an ape speaking for the first time and we were hearing it, 
it would be pretty profound. Very astute. I think that I think that hits the nail on the head. So you, you, you talk about all these other philosophical quotes. I'm sure we have some of the same ones written down because we are the father-son duo. Right. But why don't you hit me with one? See, tell, let, me, let, me hear, let me hear what you got. Well, I'll have to kind of give you a little context maybe about them. Okay. But, uh, Dr. Zayas, uh, one of the things he says, he says, I've always known about man. From the evidence, I believe his wisdom must walk hand in hand with his idiocy. <laughs> and uh, that was a commentary on the state of man. And Cornelius had one that was taken from the sacred scrolls. Right. Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. Kind of, kind of sheds a little light on your kind own, of sheds a little on, light on, on the human condition. Now, right? while we're along that same line of thought, I'll share one with you that Taylor had. Okay. He, he's talking to his three companions after they crash land, and he says, I'm a seeker too, but my dreams aren't like yours. And then here's his quote. I can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. Uh-huh. But then this is the one that I've probably used in my life. <laughs> his life included four children and 46 years of child rearing with my mom. Don't be surprised when you hear this. It's a madhouse, a madhouse. So that, those were some other ones. And then Julius, who was uh, the nephew, right? he says, you know the saying, human see, human do. You know, and reverse <laughs> oh, it. I forgot that, about that one. Yeah, that that was really good. And then another one by Taylor that spawned another th- train of thought and spawned another novel. Another was, novel? Because oh, this, was, this was taken, this movie was taken from a novel. But Taylor said, and he was talking to Julius, and he says, remember, never trust anyone over 30. <laughs> and that is... Sound in, wisdom. Yeah. And then there was a, a movie after that, and, a, and uh, it was based on a novel by two gentlemen, and I've forgotten their name, but the movie was called Logan's Run. And it was a futuristic movie where when you turned 30, they killed you because you were worthless after that. <laughs> So that. that and that was the thing. Never trust anyone over thirty. And so this and, came, and that, this, that preceded Logan's run. That preceded okay. Logan's run. Okay. Very so that's that's pretty much the quotes that I thought were worth remembering. And here, did you have any? I, I had one, but before I get well, I'll, I'll I'll say mine, and maybe it'll strike a chord with you. You'll probably remember it. This is at the very beginning when he's talking to his ship's ship's captain's log. Right. I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he he goes on to say. Does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox, who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? The setting is 19, or they, they left in 1972 was the setting. So this is projected four years into the current setting that it was released in. Right. So obviously we had very high-minded ideals about space, space travel from the Kennedy age. Only four years past the current date that it was released, they're still wondering, you know, even even though we've banded together, even though we've, we've done these these wonderful, marvelous things with, with rockets and engineering, are we still going to give in to our baser desires and make war with our brother? I thought that one was pretty good. That's pretty good. That one was the only one that I had jotted down. Um, so out of, out of maybe that one and, and the ones that you had written down, which one do you think would should replace the, the one that we have? Take your stinking paws off. Because a lot of them kind of wane into existentialism a little bit. Right. Know? Just the, the nature of the human condition and, and how... how how man is just has such folly behavior sometimes. Uh, Dr. Zayas, I think, may be the best one. Uh, from the evidence, I believe his wisdom wisdom must walk hand in hand with his idiocy. That's because for as intelligent as we are, we can never get above 
our primal state sometimes. Right, right. So that's, you know, that's something to consider. Movie plot transparency is still around, for better or worse, but it was really cool to see how animated my dad got talking about how it hooked him in the first time. We've, we've waned philosophical long enough. Now let's talk about the actual movie. Okay. Did you enjoy the movie? <laughs> Thoroughly. Thoroughly. Now, when you saw it when you were 20, there's a definite, is there, is there a type of falling off in enjoyment that you've seen it now, or does it, did you still have that memory of nostalgia going back and watching it again? Well, <clears throat> the movie was still just as impactful, mm -hmm. but because we've seen so many movies mm -hmm. in, the, in the 47 years since then. <laughs> uh, You're dating yourself, Dave. I am. But the movies since then are so much better made. Mm -hmm. They're so much more believable. Fantasy can take an even greater trip with you. Uh, the things that we see, and we expect that yeah. from a movie. You know, well we could never go back to rubber f mask. The Tim, the Tim Burton remake, notwithstanding, right? Well, the Tim Burton, we that was horrible. But anyway, <laughs> that that is the case. But even going back now and not having lived a life. Uh, and seeing the things that I have, I was able to gain more from the movie than the first time I saw it. Hmm. This movie had a lot of things sociologically, philosophically, that were underlying tones, and one of them was race, because of uh, the civil rights movement in the '60s. Mm -hmm. This was a this was a reversal struggle. Yeah. That was part of the thing that they were trying to convey. Yeah, and, and there was also a, a caste system Absolutely. within the, right. the, the, the caste race, system. Yeah. Right, the guerrillas were the military yep. and the police, the orangutans were the politicians, and then the chimpanzees were the scientists and the intellectuals. Mm -hmm. So when they so, say the monkey's on Capitol Hill, <laughs> that's more than likely where they got it from. More than <laughs> likely. More than likely. So uh, all that being said, the movie still holds up today. Uh, because most people realize, you know, that it was a groundbreaking movie. And mm -hmm. when, you, when you look at it and you say, wow, we came from this to where we're at today. And boy, this movie really had, really had a lot to say. Mm -hmm. Holds up as far as the social commentary it was made? Holds up for the social oh. commentary. Holds up to how people actually felt during the Cold War when it was a constant daily threat of, of a nuclear war. Mm -hmm. And nuclear war on this planet will devastate the planet. We used to always think, well, you know, we'll shoot some of theirs down, they'll shoot some of ours down. But when you saw this movie and they came around the beachfront mm -hmm. on horseback and you saw something, you know, even though there'd been references made through the movie to, you know, what was going on. Right. You have to realize that we've seen many uh, tricky plots in the last four Right. Seven. So watching it now, it's a, it's a lot easier to see it coming, even though you've already seen it. Right. Like, oh, even though everything's spelled it. out for Oh, yeah, it's spelling out. But back then, you didn't do that. It was fresh. It was right in the face. Yeah, I can imagine. And that. then you're sitting there in the theater and you're going, he's going to discover paradise. <laughs> Him and Nova are going to have a family. <laughs> They're going to start the human race and it's going to be wonderful. And then he rounds the corner on the beach and you see this object that they're panning away from, and you, you can't really... And then, you know, and then you see the spike from the Statue of the Liberty. But it's it's something that you're so familiar with, you go, what is that? What is that? What is that? <laughs> and the way they panned around it, and finally when they showed what it was, your heart actually came up into your mouth, and you went, oh my God, they blew the planet up. And that's exactly what he said. Yeah. So it was very illuminating. To what could actually happen if we didn't 
take care of business and do what we should do yeah. and, and make efforts to do things. So it still holds up today. I had I had a wild theory that I wanted to, that I wanted you to try and emphasize, Dad. Okay. So the line, take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty eight. Not the best one. We've already discussed this. I think the line has impact because of the abject fear that the apes felt when they heard it. And what I mean by that is maybe maybe after this great unnamed calamity, the you know the quote unquote highly evolved apes we see, I feel like they might actually be de-evolving men. And what I mean to say by that is think about the, the strict adherence to all these archaic platitudes that they had, you know, of oh, the 26th scroll, the ninth verse, or the 29th scroll, sixth verse, and the rote memorization of the dogmatic principles. Oh, well, you know, this guy, you know, he, he could never be wrong. He's a man of science, and science should go hand in hand with our faith, you know, things like that. And, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of reminiscent of maybe older pagan rituals, you know, where things were just... Things were concrete. There was no room for change. It was this, all this mysticism surrounding it. Nobody was supposed to question anything. So imagine their fear when a supposed less intelligent uh, species interjects and threatens to upend everything, everything they know. I don't know. That's just a theory. So some, something that could be something so fearful to them, but so you know, sounding so silly to us. Well, I don't know if they had planned on making more movies at the time, but. And I have not read the novel that it was taken. I haven't either. So uh, that said, uh, it could be that the first apes that evolved, which we now have seen where they came from right. in the later movies, their fear of man impressed them so much that they put these strict dogmas on them so that they would never associate themselves with humans again, hmm. that they had evolved above where humans were. And uh, that's that's another way to look at it yeah. and, and to say that the humans uh, are always evil they always have lust greed death killing in their heart and stay away from them right and that that, that might have been why the scrolls were written by the earlier evolved apes to say let's protect people let's protect the apes let's keep them away from humans and don't let them gain the upper hand again mm -hmm. because we know what can happen and where that can lead but how long was that going to last? Anyway? But how long That's, was that going to last? Because they had already evolved into using guns and, and prison and everything that man had done. Right. So evil is evil. Right. So um, there, there you go. And speaking of that, actually a great little transition. I don't know if you noticed, during Taylor's trial, when he wasn't allowed to speak for himself, right. the orangutan politicians, you know where I'm going with this. I know where you're going with this. They, one of them covered their ears, right. one of them covered their eyes, one of them covered their mouth. It's from an old pictorial maxim known as see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It has roots in Japan, I think, or something like that. So to, to kind of go further hand in hand with my theory of maybe de-evolving men, you know, the leftover stragglers are, you know, even more in a crumbling society. Like they're regressing back from their, from what they once knew before, you know, the supposed calamity that happened. So see no evil, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It's, it's comes when, uh, Zira and um, Cornelius are trying to explain, you know, what they think has happened, and they're, they're just feigning ignorance the whole time. You know, they don't have none of it, right. and it's just kind of a it's kind of a cute little nod to uh, to that to that old adage. Um, I thought that was pretty neat, right? And that's what we all do. We all cover our eyes and ears and, yeah, and mouth, true. and uh, when we don't want to speak the truth or hear the truth, for so better or worse, mostly worse though. Yeah, mostly worse. Oh, that's true. Uh, and what else did I have? 
Um, and I think Linda Harrison at the time was one of the producers or one of the directors or somebody's girlfriend, and that's how she got in the movie to start with. So she was excited. She asked, oh, do I have a speaking part? They said, hmm, not exactly, but you'll be thrilled to be on scene with Charlton Heston. Absolutely. I'm sure she was very happy with yes. that. I think you and I watched it together. In fact, I, I'm, I'm positive we did. And uh, I remember not fully realizing the Statue of Liberty scene until I, was, I saw it like a second time. But I do remember it having an impact on me because I obviously recognized the landmark. But it didn't have as big an impact on me when I watched it this past time, probably because it was very late at night and I was getting sleepy. And So Charlton Heston was the misanthrope of the group. He was obviously very jaded with right. what life on Earth had become. Yeah, disillusioned with everything. Right. What do, you, do you think there was any significance? Because it was, it was kind of a slight nod. Um, in retrospect to what was going to happen just a year later when we landed on the moon when um, or it might have been Dodge one of his crewmates is planting that really small American flag and he's just laughing his head off what do you think that was all about any theories on that well probably um, just the sheer absurdity of it all like we're here we're going to die what's the point of even doing it um, I think it was just kind of a, a liberal approach to the government uh, saying oh this is just ridiculous you know why, why would you even do that? Yeah. And so th- th- that's my take on it. Uh, just kind of a pointless act of right. nationalism or something. Yeah, you know, for, for liberal people. But. Yeah. The re- <laughs> One of the reasons that the movie worked as well as it did, I feel, was because in the actual book, like I said, we didn't read the book, but in the actual book, the ape society was a lot more technologically advanced, I think. Right. But because this was the late 60s, and cinema was, you know, just on the cusp of becoming really great. They had to make some budget cuts, and the, the prosthetics, I think, is where they they ended. They started with Charlton Heston's wardrobe. He wore a loincloth most of the time, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> I think other than that, that was one of the main reasons why the film might have appeared low budget in some aspects was because going back to the book and the author. Now, this book was a commentary on society. Mm-hmm. Pierre Boulet was the author. He was a French author. Mm-hmm. And he served in World War II in Singapore as a spy. He was captured and he served two years forced labor by the Indo-Chinese and that type of thing. Now, this was not his only book. How many others had he written? Do you know what his other famous book was? I do not. It was Bridge Over River Kwai. Which was also made which was also into a movie. Which was also both of them were high, high, uh, highly successful movies, and he wrote more books than those two. But those were his two best. And Bridge Over River Kwai was a story about being in captivity and war and building uh, the Death Railroad mm-hmm. and the bridge that they had to build. But it was also a social commentary on war. And so, as we entered into the Cold War, he wrote the book. Planet of the Apes, and he covered the same themes and gave them a new look. Hmm. And that's why the book was kind of twisty. Here's another fact that I, I hope to surprise you with. Lay it on me, please. Do you know who wrote the film script? Of Planet of the Apes? Right. Uh, it doesn't jump to my memory now. Rod Serling. He wrote, he was the writer for The Twilight Zone for the fantastic, futuristic picture TV show in the early 60s, late 50s. So he was he was the uh, the film script that was written by him. Now they changed a few things around, but his his premise of, of the way things happened 
brought that into. So he was the man responsible for your heart being in your throat. Right, right. One other little tidbit for you. Hey, while we're monkeying around, you might as well hit me with it. It was the first time that uh, there was an award at the Academy Award presentations for outstanding makeup achievement. That was the first year, 1968. Right, and they and it the guy that won it was John Chambers for the mask and mm-hmm. you know making those, and he won an honorary an honorary Academy Award. And today we have a special effects makeup Academy Award, and he he got the first honorary one. So I thought that was kind of neat. I yeah, thought I'd cool. throw that in there. Uh, a very significant commentary on society, on war, on man's heart. And uh, well worth watching. I think so, too. Dad, thanks for letting me pick your brain. I had a good time talking to you. Coop, I enjoyed it. Yeah, he may be over 30, but I certainly had a good time talking with my dad. There's some big news for Unquote this week. I recently got picked up by the Rogue Intel Universal Entertainment Network. It's a family of podcasts that host several shows, including mine. In addition to that, I'm also now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, covering the whole spectrum of podcasting needs. If you do the social media thing, I'd love to interact with you sometime. Check me out on Facebook at facebook.com slash unquote PC. Also on Twitter at unquote PC. And you can go to Rogue Intel's website and under shows you'll find me and my tag. That does it for Unquote this week. Tune in next week when I'll review another one of AFI's top 100 movie quotes. Randomized for simplicity, reviewed for entertainment. Until then, I'm Cooper Powers and keep the film rolling. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.